Good morning. Great to see you today. Uh, man, this week is always hectic, isn't it? And um, you're probably coming in today, and you have spent time talking to people that maybe haven't hardly talked to all year, family members. Uh, we probably all ate way more food than um, uh, we're probably supposed to, but hey, it's wonderful to celebrate, and it's even wonderful to feast, isn't it? Um, I see in the scriptures where food was a big part of their celebrations, and so um, I know how that goes. I thought I saw somebody, man, they had like four Thanksgivings um, already. That's remarkable. Um, so I'm sure maybe some of you even later on today, you're getting together with other parts of your family. Or Now we have this whole thing called Friendsgiving too, right? Um, that's kind of a cool thing. I got I went to one of those last Saturday. And just again, more excuses to eat food, right? And um, so, you know, I just feel like every year we come into this Sunday and we've been places we're not normally and we're just out of our routine, right? And yet, we're switching gears into one of the um, seasons um, that we really should ponder and should worship and should allow the, the acts of God in Christ to really come close to us. And so I just want to pray before we jump in today, because I know we've all been different places, and just ask the Holy Spirit to kind of bring us in to his word. Lord, thank you, Father, for for all that you've blessed us with. I'm even grateful to be in a, in a country that takes time, puts up life on pause to be thankful. Lord, we're just, we just want to continue to allow our hearts to be filled with gratitude. Father, way beyond what you've blessed us with here, we recognize that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. And Lord, allow that to just flood our heart, to chase away doubt, fear, to chase away um, inferiorities. We are blessed by you. Lord, as we bring ourselves here and pause for these next few moments. Allow the word of God to speak to us. And may the spirit of God apply the word of God into our lives. Teaching us, revealing to us who you are. What we can trust in, believe in, and take to the bank, so to speak. The Lord bless this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you imagine this season without music? Can you imagine all that the Christmas season is? The gift-giving, the parties, the festivities, the lights, all of that. And then not be allowed to listen to one song. Wouldn't it just be different? 
Wouldn't it be awkward? Wouldn't it be weird? Wouldn't you walk away thinking like something's missing? Because I contend that a huge part of this season is music. It, it accompanies what we celebrate. It brings joy and festivity and it, it brings warmth into this whole season. I can't even imagine see Christmas without music. In fact, I'm going to do just a little test, 15-second test or so. I, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. We're not going to take your wallet or anything while your eyes are closed. Steal your keys or anything. But just listen to this for a moment. Close your eyes. All right. Maybe not that song in particular, but I bet you a song like that, as you listen to it, memories started flooding back. Scenes from your life, right? A place, a time, people. Because music just does that, does it not? I would contend this music draws out our hopes. And declares what we believe. Music draws out our hopes and declares what we believe. I, I've been thinking about it this week. Like, we sing what we believe, and then we sing, and then we believe. So often. Our culture does this. I, I've been thinking, for whatever reason, I can't get the, the uh, Stone song out of my mind. I can't get no you know that song, right? And I try and I try. And I, I, I think like songs like that just form the way people thought. Or, or it was what they believed, so it's what they saw. That's what music does. Our culture is full of people who are singing about the things that they hope for and believe in. It's an indicator, is it not? Music draws out our hopes and it declares what we believe. So often, or really, more times than not, there's a story behind a song. <laughs> Unless it was some of the Beatles songs I think they wrote while they were, I don't know. What I hear, all right? That's a story in of itself, right? Crazy. But there's a story behind a song. Like for me, my favorite story from the season of the songs that we sing is the story that is Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. All right? Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, 19 years old, is already a professor in a university. Uh, by 22, he's uh, already writing his own textbooks. By 27, he's already been invited to teach at Harvard. Um, he gets to Harvard I mean, this guy is like a shooting star, right? He's already becoming well-known for his work, his scholarship. He's a respected scholar. He gets to Harvard at 27, and within a year of being there, his new wife dies from an illness. 
and Henry is left floundering with life, experiencing good, but then dealing with tragedy. It takes him seven years to work his way through that, to, to get his bearings, get back on his feet. And at close to the end of those seven years, he meets a, 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 a wonderful woman and remarries. Over the next 25 years or so, Henry experiences a life that people looking on would be like, wow. They have five children. His work becomes world-renowned. He becomes one of the, he becomes known as one of the greatest writers of the new world, of the America, the new America. He becomes wealthy from his work. And for 25 years, he, he is seemingly recovered from tragedy, right? 1861. One evening, his wife strikes a match to light, to light a light. You get what I'm saying? And for some reason, her clothes catch on fire. And they're not able to extinguish it, and she burns to death. 1861. All of a sudden, his world is flipped upside down again. 1861 was what? The beginning of the Civil War. And this person who cared about his nation, his culture, who's invested in all of that, is looking around and, and seeing all of this turmoil, all of this strife, and he doesn't understand. And he's deeply affected by not only his personal tragedy, but the circumstantial tragedy around him. To compound it, his son goes to war and is shot and is wounded and has to come home and is dealing with injury. And Henry said that he would get up and go into town and every day he would either walk or meet and talk to people who had been wounded from the war, who had come back home affected, or he would meet parents who had lost sons. And his whole world has went from... to. And on 1863, on Christmas Day, it's these circumstances that are just weighing heavy upon him as he sits down on Christmas Day. And in that little village that he lived in, on Christmas Day, the local church began to chime the carols, the bells. And Henry Wadsworth began to write, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Their old familiar carols play. And if you've read or sang that song, you know that he begins to write about what's going on and how dark and gloomy and it even seems hopeless. And yet in the midst of his own personal tragedy and national tragedy and feeling the weight of being hopeless, Henry doesn't stop without writing two final lines. He writes, God is not dead, nor does he sleep. 
The wrong will fail. The right shall prevail. With peace on earth and goodwill to men. Those two lines begin to capture the country's heart. And in the midst of the darkness of the Civil War, people begin to sing those two lines and find hope. He says, so often with a song is a story. Guess what? The story of Jesus coming to earth and becoming flesh and blood and dwelling among us is it accompanied with music. As the writer Luke shares the story of Jesus' birth, there is woven into that narrative four songs. You see, again, just like we know and God himself has given us, music draws out hopes and declares what we believe. And these four characters, or these four yeah, characters in the story can't help but sing about what is taking place. Drawing out their hopes and dreams. Declaring what they believe and know about God. And so we're going to take this month and just understand that as much as music is a part of the season, you know, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. Uh, some of the classics, you know. Grandma got ran over by a rain. No. You know, that in the Christmas story, the story that matters, the story that is this season, there's music, there's songs that draw out hope and declare what is true and right about God. But I wanted to start today by actually talking about a song that was sung way before the original Christmas playlist. See, Luke is the original Christmas playlist. I don't know what's on your Christmas playlist, but Luke has the original one. The song of Mary. The song, you know. But there was a song that had been sung for years that pertained to what Christmas is all about. I, I think it's, it's neg negligent of us to understand Christ coming to earth and the nativity without understanding what was going on before then. The context. And in the context of him coming to earth, for hundreds of years there had been a song sung that would pertain to this story. You see, the Psalms, if you were... If you open your Bible and you, you, you go through your Bible and you see this large section in the middle of the Old Testament called the Psalms, there's 150 of them. That's really a song book. It's the song book of the Bible. These, were, these, were, these Psalms, were, they become songs that were put to words and sang on their worship. Right? I'm not sure about Psalm 119. You might as well pack a lunch if you're going to sing that in church. Because it's like 170-something verses or 180 verses. Be like, man, I'm just tired of singing, right? I'm not sure if they sung. I, they probably split that one up, right? But they sang the songs. A song. And there's one particular song that I want us to consider today that I believe is crucial 
to the heart of what Christmas is really about. It's Psalm 89. So it's Psalm 89 is considered a, um, it's called a, a, a royal psalm because it talks about this idea of a king, of Israel's king in the spiritual life of the nation. And yet, even the best of Israel's kings were flawed. And the nation's ultimate hope was in a Messiah king. And these royal psalms, there's 11 of them through the, through the book of Psalms, that would cause the people to sing about and think about, to draw out hope and to declare the reality that there was a Messiah that was going to come. This psalm in particular is written by a man named Ethan. Uh, Ethan was a, uh, a, a, a considered a, a great man of wisdom. He was a founder of one of the three choirs that led the children of Israel in worship in the temple. This is a solid, godly leader. A, he's a worship leader is what he is. And he writes this psalm. And as you begin to break into this psalm, you begin to see some things that I think are important for us to, to understand. And if you have your Bible, it's Psalm 89. It's on the app. Um, but we also have it on the screen. Here's how he starts this psalm. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your line forever and to make your throne firm through all generations. This is an amazing worship song. I know it's hard to think about how to make that music, but they did. And it was amazing. I mean, I can't think of a better thing to sing about. It's so centered on two words. This word has said, the steadfast love of God. They would sing about the steadfast love of God. And then there's this word that's introduced in this. It's this word covenant. God is a covenant-making God with his people. Covenant is a word for promise. And God is a God of steadfast love and a promise-making, promise-keeping God. I can't imagine singing these songs without hope just springing up within your heart. I mean a resounding hope. You want to talk about drawing out hope and de declaring what you believe? You start singing these words about a steadfast love and a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. I mean, amazing. And you begin to work your way down through the first 30-something verses of this psalm. And I'm just going to jump kind of through, um, through it. But listen to these words. Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty, and your faithfulness surrounds you. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Those are things that we long for in our lives righteousness and justice love and faithfulness go before you 
Listen, as you continue to read down through, he begins to say, hey, I have found David, my servant, with my sacred oil. I have anointed him. My hand will sustain him. This is their leader. This is a figurehead of their, their people. What is God going to do with those who would lead him? Well, he's going to sustain them. He's going to strengthen their arm. The enemy will not get the better of him. The wicked will not oppress him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down his adversaries. I will maintain my love to him forever and my covenant with him will never fail. I will establish his line forever, his throne as long as the heavens endure. It just keeps going and going and going. And as you're singing this and singing this and thinking about this, and I mean, this is a praise and worship song that, I mean, lifts you up to, to heaven. Singing about the steadfast, faithful love of God and his power on your behalf and his promise that he's making to you as his people. That he is not going to leave you. He is not going to forsake you. He has made a promise to David, your leader, and he is going to absolutely keep that promise. Can you imagine anything causing more hope in your life? I can't. This is the kind of God I have. This is what he promises in my life. I am safe. I'm secure. I'm significant. There's a plan. I can't, the, he's going to crush my enemies. I, I mean, this is just hope, right? Are you guys with me today? Okay. Hope. I, I really just like hope. That's the word that just, okay, you got that, right? I want you to see that. Because keep reading. You just read what I read, right? Same guy is still writing. But you, God, have rejected. You have spurned. You have become very angry with your anointed one. You have, what's that word? Renounced the covenant with your servant. And you have defiled his crown in the dust. This God who says, I'm going to take care of your enemies, he's writing now, you have broken through all our walls and you've reduced our strongholds to ruins. All who pass by have plundered us. They've taken advantage of us. They've taken what they wanted from us. We have been the absolute scorn of our neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of, the, of our foes. You've strengthened our enemies' hands. You have made all of our enemies rejoice when they fight us. Indeed, you have turned back the edge of the sword and have not supported us in battle. You have put an end to our splendor and you have cast down David's throne to the ground. Are any of you like me, like, what is going on? Is this guy, like, schizophrenic? 
what, how do you write hope? And then all of a sudden, you write this. I'll tell you why. Because Ethan begins to look at the circumstances around him. And the reality of God's people at that moment. I, I, this seems, we're not completely sure how to pinpoint an exact time, but it definitely seems to have been written around the exile. Where God's people are being defeated, crushed, taken away as slaves, exiled to a different land. And Ethan begins to look around at the present circumstance and his whole perspective changes. And what was resounding hope for 30-something verses becomes disappearing hope. I would say this, hope disappears when promises are seemingly broken. Ethan's circumstances are clouding what he had been singing about previous. And the circumstances are making his hope absolutely disappear. He is saying the exact opposite of what he was saying before. What happens? Life. <laughs> Nothing like expectations ruined. Nothing like circumstances begetting tragedy. Nothing like what you had hoped for and believed in and longed for crushed right in front of you that causes hope to disappear. This is true of our life. Hope disappears when what we hope for, what we, long, what we trusted in, when promises are broken. And to him, it seems like promises are being broken and hope is disappearing. You know, we can throw stones at Ethan. We can maybe smirk and say, dude, you know, chill out here. How can you? And yet, in our own lives, it's easy for us to do the same. Our circumstances begin to be all that we can see. And we lose hope. It disappears. When things are not turning out how we believed they would. When we have worked toward, or we have put ourselves in a position for this, this, and this, and it doesn't go. When we've expected relationships when we've trusted in people or 
companies or jobs or when we look at our own life and we see an inability of change hope disappears and we're no different than you guys Life circumstances cause hope to disappear so often in our lives. I ask you this question. What promises of God have you given up on? Because it seems like he's mailing it in. You've renounced your covenant. He's given up. Like I get, but you know what? I think all around, life circumstances are causing people to have their hope disappear, and they're giving up on even the very promises of God in Scripture. Hope disappears. And promises are seemingly broken. Listen to this. It it keeps going. Hope disappoints when promises are misunderstood. This is what I also want us to see. He says, how long, Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Lord, where is your former great love? which in your faithfulness you swore to David. You see, what he is having trouble reconciling is that their present circumstances do not match what they thought God had always been promising. An eternal kingdom, an everlasting kingdom, kingdom with the Messiah who's going to come and rule and and he can't reconcile it we are not this but what he does is he shows his hand it's the same hand that was shown when Jesus came to this earth and his people rejected him because he was not what they thought the Messiah was going to be. You see, somewhere along the line, well, you remember the story. Israel was never going to have a king. God wanted to make them totally different than the nations around them. Yet they looked at the nations around them and thought that was what was successful. That's what we need. And so they begged God, did they not? And he gave them a king. He gave them Saul, then David, then Solomon. And what happened is, what God had wanted to do great in their life, they had settled for something far less. An earthly kingdom. And that's all they could fixate on. And if the earthly kingdom wasn't coming to pass, 
then God wasn't being faithful. Right? And they were disappointed. And that's why when Jesus shows up, they take one look at him and say, well, he doesn't have a military background. He's not figuring out strategies to overthrow Rome. We're not all of a sudden creating an economic uh, boom here. He can't be the Messiah. Because the Messiah is going to come and do what? He's going to make us a world power again. He's going to make us rule the world. And we're going to overthrow this kingdom. And what they missed all along was that God's, his whole plan was never to establish the earthly kingdom yet. It was to start and it has propelled the earthly kingdom that God is going to establish eternally is led by a spiritual kingdom first. And he can't see it. His expectations are off. And so guess what? He is completely disappointed. His hope is disappointed. Because he misunderstands what God has always been promising. And let me put it to you this way. So often we slip into this same error. We have a tendency to believe that God is promising in his word to make us healthy, wealthy, and successful. Can I say that again? We begin to believe that God's plan for our life is to make us healthy, wealthy, and successful. And we miss, just like Ethan did, just like the people in first century Israel, that God's primary purpose is to make you and I like Jesus Christ. His primary purposes are spiritual. And guess what happens to us when God doesn't end up healing us from a disease? When God doesn't make us uber wealthy. When God doesn't make us super successful. We get jaded. And we start to get disappointed in God. And our hope in Him is, it's, it lives on a level of disappointment. It's because we're misunderstanding His promises. Don't get me wrong. God is so gracious and he does heal diseases. He does bless us so often financially. He does advance our lives. Even, you know. But that's not his primary purpose. And actually, God sees life that being a superficial understanding of how to experience life he designed for us to live in 
full relationship with him. To be filled with his spirit. To manifest the fruits of the spirit. And to be used in his kingdom. That's what he's always about. And if we have a different hope than that, often we're going to be disappointed, just as he was. Look at what he even says, what, what this word says. Look at this. He says in the middle of this, if my sons forsake my law and do not follow my statutes, if they violate my decrees and fail to keep my commands, I will punish their sin, their iniquity with flogging. We don't want to talk about that, right? He's, he's going to make them suffer consequences for their behavior, for their lifestyle, for their disobedience. But in that, he's actually remaining faithful to his promise. I will not take my love from them, nor will I ever betray my faithfulness. That actually when God allows things in our lives that are consequences for our sin, for our unbelief, for our wayward lifestyle, it's actually God always being faithful, calling us back, allowing some pain in our lives to cause us to turn back to Him. Because the primary purpose of God is what? For His people to live like Jesus Christ. And just as Jesus wholeheartedly, unreservedly followed the Father, He's a model for us. And so often our hope is disappointed because maybe I didn't get the job. Or maybe I do struggle with an illness that I just, it's there. It's not going anywhere. Maybe, maybe some of the dynamics of the relationship structure I have or the environment I live in, it's just, it stinks. And sometimes I'm like, I'm just disappointed, God. I've asked for you to do this. Often it's, we don't have the end in mind. What God's primary purpose, we misunderstand the promises of God. Can I tell you this? If you're God's child, you will, you will be more healthy than you've ever been and more wealthy than you can ever imagine in God's time. That's the promise of his kingdom to come. You're not going to live with your illnesses, your infirmities forever. You're not going to live with, I don't know how to make ends meet and pay this bill. And The promise is the everlasting kingdom. You're going to have more land than you know what to do with. Never going to worry about a meal. God is actually going to promise that stuff to us. After he does his spiritual work. He's more concerned about that than the other. And we get that backwards and we get disappointed. And so we get jaded with God. And we actually do things like, like, um, like this. If I can find it. 
I can't find it. My question is, what promises of God are you disappointed in today? What promises have you given up on? What promises are you disappointed in? It often happens because we misunderstand what God's primary plan is for our lives. But I would finish this way. Hope, hope delivers when promises are fulfilled. Guess what? God says this, I will not violate my covenant or alter what lips I have uttered. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness. I will not lie to David. His throne will continue forever. His line will continue forever, and his throne endure before me like the sun. It will be established forever like the moon, a faithful witness in the sky. Ethan wrote this psalm, lived and died, and never saw this promise fulfilled. We live on the other side of this promise fulfilled. Because what Christmas is about is exactly this. This. God was faithful to his promise. I, I just would leave you with this little, this little idea. Christmas is a reminder to you that God is going to be faithful to his promises. The lights, the parties, the programs. One thing should resound deep within us in this season. God makes promises and God keeps promises. Look what Paul says. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are what? Yes in Christ. You see, in God's word, when he begins to make promises to you, what Christ has done and who Christ is and his fulfilling of God's plan and what this season is all about, is a reminder that when God makes a promise, <laughs> you can bank on it. When God makes a promise in his word about your own life, that he has the power through his Holy Spirit to come in and actually change those habits and behaviors that have plagued you for years, that have enslaved you, that have caused you to despair and be discouraged. When God says, I can do something about that, if you'll let my Holy Spirit in, then you can bank on it. The many promises of God are yes in Christ. If God makes promises about, if you'll call out to me in prayer, if you'll trust me, if you'll ask anything according to my will, you can know that I hear you, and because I hear you, I'm going to answer it. You know what? You and I better get to praying. Because the promises of God are yes in Christ.
When God says, if you'll have faith in me, I can move mountains. I can change situations. I can reorient environments. Man, I better start believing. Because the many promises of God are yes in Christ. When God says, I can take your life broken, chaotic, and I can remodel it, renovate it, and in the process, use you for my glory to advance my kingdom, to make a difference, to help change people's lives, to be used by God, if he's promising that that's, and he does, you and I better start stepping out. Okay, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want to use me? Because the many promises of God are yes in Christ. Do you know why that's true? Because hope delivers when promises are fulfilled. God fulfilled his promise in Christ. Christmas is at the heart about a promise keeping God who is faithful, ever faithful. Because of that, you and I, we just need to be a promise believing people. This fires me up. God, I've been asking myself this one. Are there promises that you've given up on, Chip? That you read in the Word and you kind of skim over them because you know what? I've seen too much of life. I just don't, ah, man. I. Are there promises that I, I, I've been disappointed with God? I'm a little jaded because He hasn't. Are you reading? Am I reading His Word? And when He makes a promise, am I wholeheartedly saying, well, God, you promised it believe it because that's what this season magnifies that's what this season amplifies for us the little babe in a manger is the promise of God the covenant of God to this world to save people and that's who he is that's what he does he's just longing for us to trust him over and over and over when he says I promise this. The promises of God are yes in Christ. And so today, all I want you to do is, there's papers all over the congregation, or all over the seats. There's pens. I just want you to take a piece of paper. And I just want you to write one promise from God that you are not going to give up on, that you are not going to to, uh, mail it in, that you're not going to be jaded about, that you're not going to be disappointed with, that you're going to say, God, you promised this, and I believe that the many promises of God are yes in Christ Jesus. And in this season, I'm going to cling to this promise, 
and I'm going to believe it wholeheartedly because you're the God who came through and fulfilled the biggest promise. That's what you do. And I'm going to take that piece of paper and I'm going to put it in my pocket or in my sock or on my dashboard of my car covering up the speed limit. See if it works with a ticket. No. I'm going to put it in my bathroom mirror. But one thing this season, I'm going to remember that God keeps promises. God makes promises and he keeps promises. And he calls me to believe, to trust, to depend. That's what this season is about. Let's start being a people that believes in a promise-making, promise-keeping God. Let's see him do great, wonderful, mighty things in our lives. Because we saw what the heart of this season is about. Can you do that? Let's write something down. Father, hope delivers when promises are fulfilled. And you always are doing that. Ethan didn't even get to see this. He wrote about it, but he didn't get to see it. We get to see what you did. We should be full of hope. Because you deliver on your promises every time. The many promises of God are yes in Christ. Make this a season of celebrating your birth. But at the heart of that, us claiming and depending and trusting in the many promises of God. Make it so, I pray. Thank you so much for being here today. Come join us this evening at uh, 6 o'clock. And we'll have fun tonight. But uh, thank you for being here. Have a great, blessed week as we begin this season.